interrupt your program to bring you this important podcast. How to 911. Can you can you put me out of service on a podcast, please? Welcome back, guys, to How to 911. Um, we're back at you with another uh, interview episode with one of our officers. But first, I'm Sammy. I'm Erica. And this is our awesome guest. Hello. Speak for yourself now. My name is Josh. You want a full name? Give us name, date of birth, social security number. Hey, now we're getting a little crazy, Erika. <laughs> Sammy, okay. Oh, gosh. Yeah, what What do you do here? I'm a police officer. Oh, that's it? Great. I mean, I do a lot of things for the department, but that's my official title if I had to put a label on it. Perfect. What mm-hmm. else do you do here? Uh, like collateral duties? Yeah. yeah. I am a field training officer, so I train new people to be officers. I don't really know where to look here. Um, <laughs> SWAT. Yeah, just I'm a helmet leader on the SWAT team. Would you say a helmet leader? Not a helmet leader. <laughs> an element leader. Element leader. Okay. Yes. Does it tell us more about that? So there's a team leader. Well, let's start at the top. Team commander, mm-hmm. which is Lieutenant Burrison. Team leader, which is Sergeant Metzler. Then we have element leaders because we don't have um, an assistant team leader right now. So mm-hmm. that's kind of we fill that role, and I'm kind of currently in charge of the sniper unit for that. Then other collateral duties, I'm an active assailant instructor, so I teach people uh, that uh, specific methodology on training for active shooters or active assailants. Um, and then Special Olympics liaison, we have a small group that puts together events to try to raise money for Special Olympics. Um, Law enforcement is the largest fundraiser for Special Olympics in Colorado. So typically we get about a million dollars a year raised throughout the state for Special Olympics. And then, remember, right? Uh, I am the vice president of the FOP. Oh, that's cool. So, which is Fraternal Order of Police for you folks out there listening that don't know the acronym. We're really bad at spitting out acronyms and not explaining them, so thank you. I try to, because when you write reports, you have to. People don't know acronyms. That ain't good. I think that's it. I don't know. Uh, That was a lot. I know. I feel like I do a lot. I think that's it. Let's get into this a little bit more. Um, I don't think we've talked to anybody that's a field training officer. So why don't you talk to us a little bit about that and how you got into it? Um, I was a field training officer at the previous agency I worked at, um, and I'm kind of a firm believer that you can't really complain about a problem if you're not really willing to be a part of fixing it. So, uh, we, you know, I think agencies and probably work places in general, um, people like to complain about whatever issues that are pertinent to them or people, employees, things like that. So I think that if you're going to complain about it, Either be quiet or do something to make a change to better it, I guess. So that's kind of how I got into it. Um, and trying to teach people to be better than you are or were. So I think that's a good way for secession planning. Um, somebody has to teach the next batch. And if you're going to teach them, you might as well teach them the right way. So Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Let's get into the good stuff. 
SWAT. Oh boy. I don't think we've had anybody on SWAT either. So you're killing two birds with one stone. I kind of wear some unique hats for some of the things that I'm a part of. (laughs) Yeah. There's not often SWAT guys or people involved in Special Olympics. Mm. Um, Also, typically SWAT uh, operators are not involved in FOP. Mm. Um, A lot of that stuff, SWAT guys typically are into like the tactical stuff and like arrest control or driving even, firearms, things like that. So not... I wear kind of some unique hats and the things that I'm a part of. Right. Um, so, yeah. What do you want to know specifically? Yeah. How did you get into SWAT? Um, I've worked for three different agencies, and every agency I've worked for, I've been part of their tactical team. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also a big believer in training. I think that any time that somebody can get an opportunity to go to training, to learn something new, to better themselves or their career, whether it's knowledge or physical tactics or anything like that, you should do it. So I'm kind of selfish in that regard. I like to go to as much training as I can go to so that I can try to be the best I can be personally. Yeah. Maybe some of that can rub off on somebody else someday. Yeah. What's the best thing about SWAT? Um, I think it's a pretty good camaraderie, brothership, one might say right now, brotherhood. Um, I think it ebbs and flows. Uh, we went through a big change the last couple of years, a lot of turnover, older guys getting off the team, retiring, quitting, whatever. And then we got a bunch of middle road guys like myself. Um, and now we have a lot of new guys. So, um, it's been interesting to see that change, good and bad. Um, but yeah, I would say probably we have a pretty good camaraderie right now. So with the newer guys coming up, are you now the old guy? I'm the middle guy. You oh, missed okay. that part. Come on, Sam. You no, said I mean, middle guy. You said newer guys are coming up. They're still old guys. They're still oh, okay, old guys. Okay. I'm, I'm just a middle guy. Yeah. Come on. <laughs> Early 30s here. Let's pump the brakes, Sam. Jesus. Oh, gosh. Question? Yeah. We have three agencies. So have you done anything else besides this? Law enforcement. Yeah. I've run the gamut. Um, I'm, prob- I'm the only person I know of our department that's worked in... Uh, all three different levels. And what I mean by that is I started right out of college at 22 years old and I worked in the Department of Corrections. I was a prison officer at the largest prison we have in Colorado. And it has our maximum security, our death row, all that. So I did that for two and a half years. Then I went to the sheriff's office and I worked in a jail. I did that for a few years and then I came here. So I've kind of seen all the aspects and run all the gamuts and that's I guess another unique hat I have. Nobody else here has done that. We have a couple people that have worked at the jail um, or in a jail before, but not nobody's ever worked in prison besides me. So with all the training and different hats you've already worn, do you have aspirations for anything else? Like we talked with the chief a few weeks ago and you know he didn't see himself or I can't remember what he said about how he got to be the chief of police. Do you see yourself being... Yeah, I'll t- I'm going to test for sergeant the next process. I don't know beyond that. Yeah. It's a tough one for, I think, uh, law enforcement in Colorado right now to look to the future, mm-hmm. whereas a few years ago it wasn't as difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, I guess, a close-term to long-term goal. Good you. Thank you. So... I'm kind of digressing here. What brought you to Loveland then? Um, 
So I'm from Denver, moved to Sterling, where I started my career at the prison. That small town USA might be decent, coming from a city I've never lived anywhere besides a big city. And it was not decent. It was pretty difficult and rough. But you have to do a two-year minimum to, before you can transfer or get a new job. And I tried hard to get a new job, and it didn't happen in that time frame. So I transferred from Sterling to Denver. And there's two prisons in Denver, Denver's, Denver Women's Correctional Facility and then DRDC, which is Denver Reception Diagnostic Center. Every person that goes to prison from county jail goes through there. Mm. Nobody wants to work in a women's prison. It's extra difficult. So I put in to work there. Just facts, Erika. Not a judgment, just the facts. Is it just like Orange is the New Black? You know, I haven't seen that, okay, but my wife has. Oh, okay. And so a lot of the questions that she asked me about for similarity seem very, very close, not far off. So. Interesting. Yeah. So I've never seen that. Um, and then I wanted to, uh, typically in Colorado, other places, but sheriff's offices will pay for you to go through their police academy. They host academy. So I applied with some, and I got an offer from Denver Sheriff's Office and then in Larimer County. Those are really the only two I applied with at that time. Well, Denver Sheriff's Office doesn't have a patrol division. Technically, they have like a, a warrant service, but they don't go out on patrol. So I went to came up here to Fort Collins, and I did that. Um, and then I went to buy a house, and Fort Collins is expensive, and I was 20 five years old looking to buy a house, you know, yeah. so um, we moved to Loveland or looked at Loveland and liked it. And, and then as far as the agency, I'm not a very, I haven't traditionally always been a very politically correct person with some of my uh, speakings with people. So mm-hmm. I did not think that Fort Collins was a good fit for me. Um, and I had an offer to go to uh, county's patrol, but I just like the city idea better so i came here nice do you do you like your job i do um i think that every officer goes through a time in their career at a different year level of feeling tired or burnt out i think i made it uh, 12 years i've been in law enforcement it's the only job i've ever had as an adult mm-hmm. and um i felt that more this year than i've ever felt um and that was prior to the bill. <laughs> so if you can imagine feeling tired or burned out or run down, and then on top of that, hearing the large legal changes and the potential legality that we have to deal with now, it's been a little more difficult than I anticipated for this year. But I like this job. I mean, I'm still trying to figure out how to be independently wealthy and live on the beach, but obviously I haven't figured it out because I'm here chatting with you guys. Yeah, so. that's true. The peak of your career. Yes. Ooh, yeah. Highlight. <laughs> Whoa. Highlight. All right. There you go. So, on our podcast, we talk about mental health. Oh, phenomenal. Since, since you talked about being feeling burned out, is there anything that you do to alleviate that feeling? Or Yeah, I think it's like the traditional stereotypes of officers. You got like the guys that like to work out. You got guys that like to shoot. I, I don't know what else there is. Okay, those are like the only ones I know. We have a lot. <coughs> we have a lot know. of suggestions that we can give you. This would be reading, meditation. I'm I'm not big. I know this might be surprising, 
I meditation. Um, I read, but probably not enough. I get bored easily. I work out. Working out's my go-to. Mm-hmm. And so, with COVID, I kind of bought my own home gym, so oh, oh, makes better. it difficult. What is your favorite part about your job? Uh, to be honest with you, I think the Special Olympics stuff is my favorite. Yeah. Um, they Special Olympic athletes or um, families involved with Special Olympics don't really care about the politics or race, ethnicity, sexual orientation. They just care that you're there to support them. And uh, I try to tell new officers to get involved with something like that because it'll make your view of the job a lot better for a longer time. Mm. I'm not saying it's going to make it perfect and you'll never be jaded and you'll never change because of the job because I think unfortunately that is inevitable no matter who you are the longer you do it some part of you changes Um, but when you do things like that uh, it really makes it a lot more enjoyable so Special Olympics is probably my favorite SWAT's fun too but Special Olympics is it's pretty neat to um Every year, their last couple years before COVID, they have Summer Olympic Games, and it usually gets hosted the last few years in Grand Junction. They do a huge like opening ceremony, and there's a flame and all these events, and then a closing ceremony and stuff. And it's pretty neat to – my favorite to watch is the weightlifting, mm-hmm. partly because I like to work out, but the reactions and the excitement that the people – because they're not just kids – I think that's kind of like a misconception is it's usually kids, but um, to see like it's like humanity at its purest successes and failures and um, triumphs and stuff like that. And it's pretty neat to see that. And then at the end, we, the officers, give out the medals. So it's cool to see like people's reactions, stuff like that's cool, but it's pretty, uh, it's pretty amazing to, to see people's reactions and, and that, they like you for, I mean, they like us for us, but they like us because we're police officers, I guess. You know, some of them view us as their hero. and That doesn't happen very much anymore. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty cool to be able to feel like you touched those people's lives a little bit for yeah. that period of time. Is there a place where, um, like a website where people can go and donate? Yeah. So Special Olympics CO for Colorado.org. Perfect. So then... The flip side of that is, what is your least favorite part of this job? Oh, I don't really thought about one thing. I don't mean that as like it's a bad place to work. I just, my least favorite. You're like, let me list them all. You're so positive. You're like, there's no. That's not true. I just, <laughs> a lot of it, I think you just deal with it. just part of being a police officer, which is sad to say, because I feel like in any other job, you don't have to just deal with like workplace harassment or people swearing at you or calling you names or trying to punch you and like, ah, it's not that big of a deal. You're a police officer. So that stuff is unique to our job and I get that, but um, it's a tough one. I mean, I could say that the typical answer of like the politics right now, and that sucks um, to be honest with you, but that, that doesn't affect me so much, but 
the thing that's hardest about that, which is probably my least favorite, is trying to find the line to describe to my kids why somebody doesn't like a police officer just because that's their job or why on the con- converse side of that, why a police officer may have done something that was way over the line and hurt or killed somebody. And now we all look bad and that's why people hate their dad. So I think that's the hardest part of our job, my job for me to try to convey to my kids. And now they're getting old enough. My son's nine next, next month, my daughter's six. Um, So I think that's hard to put in terms that they can understand, but also in terms that they don't cry or freak out every time I go to work every day. So I think that's the hardest part probably right now. Um, That's the only thing I think of off the top of my head. So what does dispatch do well? Uh, A lot of things. You guys have to do way more than you should. Here's a segue to something I don't like backtracking a bit. I don't like when officers over-rely on dispatch. I have a computer, just as every other officer does. I can do a lot of things myself. And that goes back to, again, as well as training and FTOing. We have silent dispatch for a reason. Now, does that mean if you work nights and you're on Eisenhower, that you need to self-initiate on your computer traffic stop? No. At 2 a.m., there's not a lot going on, and I would venture to say the dispatch is happy to answer you back on the radio because maybe they got some sleepy eyes <laughs> at a minimum. Probably. <laughs> so I think dispatch gets overutilized. Um, I think you guys do a great job of information. A lot of times, before we even have to ask for something, you already have it or you're working on it. Mm. So a lot of times you guys are already doing that. Um, and that is, I think, a one of the signs of a good dispatcher. Um, kind of not reading ahead, but being able to kind of fill in the gaps ahead of time before we ask. That helps. There's a, I got a lot of nice things to say about dispatch. Oh, we we're good. happy yeah. to hear. Take your time. I will. <laughs> How do you <laughs> Um, I think that you guys have to wear a unique hat because you're like an information gatherer. You're like, you have to know some criminal codes because I probably, it's not necessarily right or wrong. I would imagine. I don't know. I've never sat up there for long enough to know, but when you, on the breaks here, COVID, um, (laughs) when you code a call wrong, that probably is irritating to some of you up there. I know that it used to irritate me, but really it's not that big of a deal. I've been to a police academy. I've done this for 12 years. You've not been to a police academy. Maybe a citizen's academy? No. Fair enough. So, cool. So you get eight months, right? At any time in that six months, do they go over like the CRS with you? Right. So how are you going to know what a call's coded unless you've been trained on it? Yeah. Or you do the best you can to make the judgment call right. So mm-hmm. I think you guys really do a good job of that for the for overall, for not having any sort of formal training on that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that usually you guys are pretty good about emergency traffic, which is important. Yeah. You guys do a lot more than I think you give credit for. 
can. Also, what I would venture to say, and I've never really talked to anyone about it. Secret. I would imagine, it's not a secret, but I would imagine that it's a question for you. I would imagine that it's got to be pretty hard to hear about parts of a call from the beginning, the middle, and especially if an officer is involved in like a shooting or a fight and you don't hear anything. And at the end, the call's over and you're like, WTF here, guys, what happened? Mm -hmm. I would imagine that's got to be hard. And I think we do a bad job here of relaying that information and kind of like debriefing with you guys as well. You know, we'll go and end up briefing and we'll debrief a call the SWAT team we debrief all our calls and do what's called an after action plan what we did right what we did wrong what we could do better what worked what didn't work I think that the same thing could be done with you guys and I don't think you probably get that as my guess yeah we, we don't that's so. one of the things that leads to vicarious trauma for us and PTSD and to what vicarious trauma what's that it is trauma that you're not that you're a part of, but it's not directly... I understood what the terms meant, but what does that mean to you? What does it mean? How, how does that affect you? It, it affects me in exactly how you said, that I don't ever get to find out how a call um, ends unless I seek it out. So what, what does that look like for you in your daily life? <laughs> what? Whoa, whoa, That's whoa. a valid when, question. When do these, the, <laughs> the roles... All right, do. sorry. So you mean like how... How does it affect me? Yeah, does that affect you on the daily um, or the weekly? Or do yeah. you think it takes a toll on you? I mean, you? every single day it, it affects because I have, um, I had to send a medical for a person that needed help getting into their car. And I and the lady was very upset with me um, based on the questions that I had to ask her. I don't know that if when they got there, they were out there for a long time, what happened with that in that way? Is that what happened today? Mm-hmm. And I think I got on and I yeah. actually said, hey, look, if they need us, I'll head over there. But it seems like something the hospital could help with. Yeah. That okay. So there's an interviewing someone or however this comes out, you can edit this out, um, who talks about how that aspect of our job is a sense of helplessness where or our imagination has to take over. And we have amazing imaginations. So Like dispatchers or humans? Humans. Humans. Dispatchers, like think oh, of the yeah. worst case scenario every single time when someone calls nine one one, it's not for a good reason. So when this lady called nine one one to get her husband into the car, I didn't know that that's what it was. But what in my head she had, she told me how many people were helping her, and so like this worst case scenario, and they're all holding him and they're struggling, and but maybe it didn't look like that. So even this quote unquote simple call. I have no idea what it really looks like. So I have this always unfinished business with I hang up the call, but the call's not over. And so how am I, how am I going to deal with that? And it's my imagination. So our, or, and that's 98% of our calls is my imagination. 2% of the calls is following up with someone or um, either in the field or with a supervisor say, hey, how did this call? Um, we have Echo Medicals. Can, you guys can, don't call and ask that very often, though. I don't think that that's something that we feel like we can do slash should do. And I would venture to say that I disagree with that. Obviously, I can't speak for everyone, but I feel like I have a pretty good grasp of the pulse of our department, and I would say that I think you would be more surprised than not 
that people, officers, would be happy to share that information with you? I think that they would, but the taking that initiative is not something that... Sure. I think that it could go both ways. Yeah. I think you, there's some onus on you to call and say, hey, if you really want to know the outcome, call call that officer. Mm-hmm. But yeah. there should be some onus on us too. Like, hey, um, I, I mean, it's sad to say it always goes back to shootings, right? I mean, that's kind of the biggest, quickest form of, of that situation or trauma that we can usually put together in our job. And we as officers should be trying to do that. Mm-hmm. And in some aspects, it's probably worse for you. Because if I show up and a guy points a gun at me and I shoot him, for me, in theory, that's not difficult because they pointed a gun at me or I had to um, take their life to protect somebody else. Mm -hmm. I've already crossed that bridge in my mind thousands, million times, you know, and I think you have to, to be successful in our job. But especially as somebody who I guess considers myself kind of a student of tactics, you have to do the the what if game. But for you, you don't know. You don't know the outcome. You don't know the details. You just hear an officer was in trouble and had to do something terrible. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, I think you should probably, there should be some protocols in place for you guys as well. 100%. And if we're part of that first responder line, then we do need to be included. And it should be, should not be upon us every single time, like, to say, hey, what happened with this? You're right. Because it's... We're all, if we're all part of a team. Sounds like we need some change. Huh. Sounds like something that should be addressed in a Senate House, or maybe it has. Has it? I think it has, a little bit, or is on its way, the conversation. As far as first responders? Dispatchers being considered first responders. There's a few places I've seen it past it. <clears throat> Locally, there have been, I can't remember which county. I know it's new Colorado. to Colorado. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that it's been a topic and a subject that's been brought up because of, on, on behalf of dispatchers for FOP, mm-hmm. through FOP. Um, I don't know where we stand now. I would imagine it's kind of stalled because of the Senate mm-hmm. Bill 217, um, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't still be addressed. Because I think you're right. It's got to be tough. And I think... The old style of thinking is you weren't there. Right. Just to put it bluntly, you weren't there. It doesn't affect you. Right. Get over it. But that's not always the case, probably. That is not the case because my ears hear it. And I'm there with Your you. ears hear it as opposed to... <laughs> my eyes. Okay. <laughs> but I'm, eyes I'm, hearing. Got it. Edit I, that out. <laughs> I want to know that we are there with you on everything that every single unit does. Just because you're alone doesn't mean you're that, alone. That, that we're not there with you and that we are wanting everyone to get home safely. Oh, because, that's without a doubt. We because I've that. been told that it's not my responsibility for me to feel like that. And if and that, that person that told me is wrong. I agree. How could you not feel that way? How could you not? If you're, you're a if, human. If you're not, well, yeah. And if, oh, yeah, zero. And if you're, if you don't feel like that, it's a... Can you edit that out? <laughs> If you don't feel like that as a dispatcher, then you're then something has happened, and you need to talk about it. Right. Well, I think. Yes. Yeah. And similarly, for us, I think there's this really bad stigma, and I'm not going to lie that I haven't been a part of that. But you're a police officer. Uh, we see that stuff all the time. Don't be a weenie about it. Um, and I, 
like I said, I've been a part of that, and I'm probably guilty of that still. Mm-hmm. But people don't have the same mechanisms. Not, not every person has the same mechanisms to deal with things or can handle the same amount. Exactly. And I think that that's an honest look or answer at the truth. We don't do a good job of that here. And, I, not, and I'm not saying just here. I don't think probably as a profession anybody really does a good job of that. Because can you imagine the officer that was shot and not too long ago and his last words, he knows he's dying, and his last words on the radio, tell my family I love them. Can I can't imagine what that would feel like for you or dispatcher to hear that. You already probably feel helpless and it's not your role, air quote, but I can't imagine even more so how that feels for you. So I think as a whole our profession probably does a poor job of that. As a culture. That's I mean and in dispatch we've in the time that I've since I've started to now, talking about mental health has been something that you pull yourself up by the bootstraps and get over it to we have to talk about it and it's okay to talk about it and yeah. or not. And I, I would imagine there's gotta be some similar old dog old dogs or old dog mentality thinking up in dispatch as well, like you mentioned. Pull your bootstraps up, get over it. It's not your job, it's not your role. Mm-hmm. Same as us, but at the same time, times are changing yeah. and it's becoming a lot more acceptable and practical and more of a necessity mm-hmm. to have those conversations, probably. Mm-hmm. How long have you been a dispatcher here, Erica? 13 years. 13 years. How about you, ma'am? Been here for one year. Have you been a dispatcher somewhere else? Yeah, I was a dispatcher in Wyoming for a year before that. So. Gotcha. Okay, well, that was the... It's like, all of a sudden, we're turning into... We're being the ones interviewed. Weird how that happens. So weird. Oh. So on the flip side of the question that I asked, like, 100 years ago... (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. That was a good discussion. I like that. That was good. But what what can Dispatch work on? Oh, boy. How much time do we have? I know. I was like, another long list. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I don't say, ooh, boy, because there's so many. I said, oh boy, because I don't. I, I think relations are big. Mm-hmm. COVID has made it hard. Mm-hmm. But I think there's always kind of a stigma, to be honest with you, of going up to dispatch and spending too much time in dispatch and talking to dispatch. And I think that for whatever reason, it's frowned upon to go up and and spend time up there. Will you get somebody who's a supervisor or a higher up to admit that probably not but it's still i think the unwritten rule you go up for business and business only instead of hey erica what up you know how's your day or what's up what's you know just saying hey so i think that's uh, a bad stigma that but that's both sides so that's not like dispatch specific um I think it's really hard as an officer to keep in mind when a dispatcher's in training. Mm. And it's extremely frustrating for me, us. I know if you're on one or three and I can, we know, because we know whose voices are whose. I might not have met you, but I know who you are from your voice, not what you look like potentially. Because I've asked Erica like five times, I don't know who Sammy is. <laughs> 
She's like, she's like, oh, I've been here like a year. I'm like, well, that still doesn't help. <laughs> um, but it's really hard to keep that in mind, especially on three. I get it's busy and it's hard and it's hard to train somebody in that environment because it's kind of trial by fire, I would imagine, a bit, right? Mm-hmm. So either get it or you don't and you got to stumble through it. It's kind of like being a police officer and learning the ropes a bit. We try to slow it down and control it as best we can and start slow and baby steps. But, you know, I'm a 12-year guy. I call on three. I expect an answer. I don't want to wait. And more than not wanting to wait, as is an inconvenience, sometimes it's dangerous or an officer's safety to have to wait. And it's hard to keep that in mind. And even more than that, it's hard. that's a hard hurdle to overcome. And I think that once somebody feels slighted, then they refuse, or not refuse, but they get more irritable towards that person. Both ways or the dispatch? Us towards dispatch, I would say. Um, Like, why am I going to run them if it takes 37 years to get a return? And I got this guy who told me he was going to punch me in the face. Mm. Sometimes it's not practical. That's probably my biggest frustration. And that's probably unavoidable at some point. That's true. Just like we, like growing pains. Newer officers who are learning radio etiquette. Oh, and I don't know what it is as an FTO in dispatch when somebody's taking a while or doing something, but I tell you, if anyone's ever snotty to one of my favorite dispatchers, they hear about it in the car. That's for sure. And it's not a nice conversation that should be relayed on the podcast air waves. (laughs) So we try to look out for you you when we can. What do you want the public to know about LPD and being an officer? Um, I, I would say probably 95%, and I know that's high, but 95% of the people that work here are here because they want to be, and it's a good place to work. Um, we know that the majority of the community supports us, and we feel that, um, and it's nice to hear. But unfortunately, it's like anything in life. Complaints are heard the most and the loudest. Um, but we know that you're out there and we don't do it for the thanks or, or whatnot. Some of us do it because I think that genuinely want to make a difference. And I think that that's the standard police answer. And that's true. But I think a lot of us too, it's just a job. You know, it's, it's what we chose to provide for our family. You know, it's not like we grew up wanting to punch people in the face or, or shoot people. And I think, that's a misconception, and we don't have to deal with that a lot here. But I think that uh, as a whole, we feel the support, and um, we enjoy being here just as much as you enjoy having us. It's a good place to work. I agree. Um, this is a question that I think we added. What is your proud moment of your career here? Ooh. I don't know if I can pick a specific time. I think that one of the proudest things that I do is deal with the worst of the worst or see the worst of the worst so somebody else doesn't have to. One of the proudest moments that I could have is taking somebody who's struggling as a new officer and seeing them grow and grow and be able to do the job and do it effectively. That's pretty rewarding. Kind of like a proud dad sort of moment. Okay. Um, I think that's it. That's it.
Uh, next time we'll have another episode. Don't Ooh. know when or what it is, but you're getting it. And then, um... Good outro. I know, it's, this is what we do. It's like song, a jingle. Song and dance. When it is or how, you'll get it, but you will. Whether you like it or not. Anyways, you can follow us on, or like us on Facebook at Loveland Emergency Communication Center. You can find us on YouTube at How to 911 Podcast. You can also find us on Instagram at How to 911 Podcast. Um, and then you can email us any questions that you have for us or Officer Marner at How to 911 at org. And then. Should I touch it all? Can I get it mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If not, you can listen to other episodes. I probably talk about it there too. Uh, until then, know where you are, know your phone number, and tell us exactly what happened.